free drop here, no doubt. Yeah, free drop. Whoa, that thing came out sideways. Drove it into the penalty area. Whoa, yeah. Oh, that was a shank. It's hard to believe watching this. Made an unbelievable bogey in the drop zone. All right, folks, happy Sunday evening. Welcome to the Drop Zone. My name is Dylan DeChair here, as always, with Sean Zock. And, Sean, it's hard not to feel very, very lucky uh, to have the jobs that we have at this current (laughs) moment. Because, well, you, you, you explain to the listeners why. Well, I just think that Riviera Country Club is one of the most lovely courses on the planet, especially on the PGA Tour circuit, to watch the sun go down at. Uh, you step outside the clubhouse and this the entire course is just baked in shadows, sunlight. You have palm trees that are like half shade, half sun, and it's all these lovely colors and... Uh, it just happens every single night here. Yeah, <laughs> that it almost doesn't even feel special. But for us, you're up in gloomy Seattle. I'm in frozen Chicago. It is a it's a lovely sight. Well, and we are currently sitting outside the media center, which means we're basically on the balcony of the clubhouse at Riviera and looking out over the first fairway. I mean, I don't know. I I always I always feel like particularly emotional at the end of golf tournaments because it's this moment of climax and we saw John Rahm winning Max Homa coming up just short uh those guys talking about just how much today meant to them and then you know it all comes down quickly you see people are taking down grandstands yeah and, um disassembling chairs and doing the whole thing so it's yeah. it's a big big spectacle it means a lot and then it all comes down quickly so it leaves a nice sunset. This event delivers every single time, though. We've been here, I can't remember if this is the fourth time or the third time we've been here, but it delivers every single time. Uh, we saw Joaquin Neiman run out to a victory last year. Um, two years, Three years ago, it was Adam Scott, and then this year it's the best player on the planet, right? The yes. best player. We've been talking Max about... Max won in there, too. But. <laughs> who, who is the best player on the planet? Was it Scotty Scheffler last week because he won against John Rahm in the final round? Was it Rory McIlroy because he won uh, a week earlier than that overseas? Uh, Or is it just John Rahm because he's been the one doing it more winning for the last three months? Um, I think we got our answer today. Yeah, I mean, for now. Um, Sure. But no, it absolutely did. I mean, to your point, we are lucky when... The best golfers are playing good golf. Yeah, that is just the the most interesting version of golf is when the the best guys are playing well. That has been the case. It was Rory and Rom. Scotty last week said, "Hey, wait a minute, guys. Me too. <laughs> I'm still here." Um, and then this week, John Rom just established himself. Yeah, threw it down. Didn't even have his best golf i would say isn't it telling that joe griner max homeless caddy yeah. who played in the in the the group the final group with rom the last two days drop zone listener joe said you know what he this wasn't even that great of john rom golf that was a 65 on saturday and what was it on sunday a 69 to win um i think that's a huge sign that like peak john rom is even probably better than what we saw this week. Um, he's just elevated his floor to be a top 10 every week. That's the scariest thing. Like coming from Phoenix to here it was really fun for me because I saw John Rahm a week ago cursing himself out on the 17th tee at the Phoenix Open, uh, really upset that he had basically given up his chance to win that tournament on the 71st hole. And then fast forward seven days to the 71st hole of this tournament, and John Rahm's happy because he has just absolutely blitzed a tee shot, and he just dropped in a dart to like two feet on 16. And um, that's what it's like when you're him right now. You're either winning or coming very close to winning. And I don't know if you want to get into this or not, but when you talk about the relative peaks of the best players in the last 10 years, Whose peak has been highest? You've had DJ in 16 slash 17. You had just uh, Jordan Spieth in 15. You had Jason Day in 15. I think Rom is for sure at those levels, and he might he might be a little bit better. I don't know if you're comfortable with that, but I'm I'm becoming yeah. comfortable with it's that. It's kind of an extended peak, and I think that that's why it's almost like this is validating stuff that he did 
Tory Pines. Like there was a bit of a lull there, I guess. And and last season he didn't make as much of a leap or didn't continue the leap like we thought he would. Um, but this feels like continued validation. I mean, Rom has been unbelievable. I guess I wanted to get into a couple of specifics of like what this week looked like because his iron play was ridiculous. Like maybe, I mean, statistically, I don't know if he's had a better ball striking week than this. Strokes gained approach. He gained 12 shots That's on nuts. the field. 11.922 shots. That was first in the field, unsurprisingly. Tiger called this place a ball striker's paradise. I think that's what he's referring to because, yeah, you can definitely set yourself uh, up for success or failure based on how you drive it, but there's going to be a lot of chances to recover uh, or gain or lose shots with irons in your hand. Rom was just really, really good at that. There's small targets out here. Um, if you have control of your golf ball, you hit them. These firm, these really firm, firm greens mean that there's just not that much room to land it if you're going to get it close to the hole. And he was just better at that than anyone else. I I really love when uh, tour pros comment, uh, I guess, in adjectives and in descriptive ways about the firmness of courses. And Mackenzie Hughes told me the other day that it's crunchy, which is a fun crunchy. little term. Yeah, the course like was getting that. crunchy, which is um, his caddy said that it is firm beneath the ground but the fairways were a little spongy which makes it really easy if you're a great ball striker to hit um but the firmness carries the ball a long way anyways that might be a little too nerdy for listeners but um, crunchiness is the kind of course that ball strikers play really well at the firm courses the the links type courses the u.s open type courses exactly like those are that's where we'd start hearing about crispy and crunchy and greens getting (laughs) on the edge and um, that yeah. was the, I mean, it, it never felt unfair by any means this week. And Rom obviously had no problem getting to 17 under. Yeah. You which met- seems kind of like even par for him yeah. these days for four days. You mentioned his ball striking. Yeah. The cool thing about shot tracer or shot tracker, tra- uh, shot link, excuse me, is that it actually breaks out each aspect of the game oh, by each it. round, right? So, uh, his worst round ball striking this week was on Thursday and he was 15th best in the field. Worst round was 15 out of 120. Uh, his second worst round was the second round and he was third best out of 120. And then in the third and fourth round, he was just the best ball striker in both rounds. <laughs> no so one hit their irons better his in worst both days, rounds. He shot 65 and 65. <laughs> yeah, which is pretty incredible. Um, I think Dylan, at this point, we're... We run out of the superlatives, right? Yeah. Ways of describing it. John Rahm himself called it the best season of his life, um, which sounds conclusive. He's made nine million dollars <laughs> in in less than two months. It's February nineteenth. I just like I just really am getting to the point now where I want it to be there the second week, the first full week of April. Mm. These peaks happen all the time, and guys don't want them to happen in November, December, January, necessarily February. They want them to happen April, May, June, and July. And so I'm really hopeful because um, I was not covering golf during Tiger's Peak, nor were you. We were little little, little boys at that point. Um, we were there for DJ's Peak, Speed's Peak, J-Day's Peak, and this feels yeah. like a brand new peak. And the cool thing is that there are other people right there. And uh, like Max Homa said, the rest of us have to chase them down. Tiger came in after his round and he he sounded like a podcaster actually. He was talking about how excited he was to look at the leaderboard <laughs> and see the cream rise to the top essentially. Gosh, I would love Tiger to have a podcast. I mean, maybe he will. Maybe he'll maybe he'll become a third co-host of the drop zone. But yeah, John <laughs> Rom and Max Homa, he referred to them as the guys that have been hitting the ball the best this year. And, you know, I'm sure Scotty and Rory could throw their names in the <laughs> sure. ring. But yeah, you get his point. These guys have been in the mix. They've been, they've been arguably the best ball strikers in 2023. To see them at the top was awesome. It's a reminder that yeah, going to the Masters, only one person can win, which mm-hmm. is too bad because that would be a validating moment for a whole bunch of people in the world of golf. Yeah, yeah. Look, most likely it's just going to be someone that, that where the storyline doesn't even make sense. Yeah, but yeah, I mean at this point, yeah, Rory. And Rom would both be fascinating. Scotty would be fascinating. Any live player would be fascinating. Max would make his 
ascendance complete, et cetera, et cetera. Do you, do you think it hurt Max that he had to admit that Rory, Scotty, and Rom are slight, the slightest cut above? I don't think it hurt him because he said it. He volunteered it, but um, it, it just it felt like today in his post-round presser, he got a little choked up. Yeah. He's thinking about this tournament, how damn close he got to winning it again. Yeah. Uh, acknowledging, I'll win it again some other time. Um, and then having to get asked questions about this boss character. He called him Thanos. Yeah. You know, he said, uh, he likened him to the the boss character in Avengers. Um, I think at some point, like, Max is so, so damn close to actually being with those guys. Mm-hmm. That at some level, it has to hurt a little bit to acknowledge that he's not right there just yet. Yes. I think... Hmm. <laughs> I don't know if I'm even like... I don't know. I mean, I think that... It's so razor I think thin. a short... I think that's a new thing, if so. I think that... I don't think that Max has any problem saying that, yeah, he's not yet the best player in the world. He's yeah. not. He doesn't yet think of himself as the best player in the world. But I think what he has realized is that when he's playing... His best golf, he's going to be really damn hard to beat. And mm-hmm. even this week, I mean, today, he said it himself, he just didn't really have it. His swing was a little bit all over the place, off the tee in particular. He still shot 68, which was one of the best rounds from those final groups, and was there with a chance, you know, basically on the 18th tee. He was down two, but yeah, um, yeah, I that was a cool moment. We were both there as Max came out of the locker room and... Uh, stepped up to the microphone, and I think he had kept it together until then. I mean, mm-hmm. we didn't see him, but based on his reaction, he started talking and then immediately got choked up and was like, geez, I don't know why this is happening right the now. The very first question, Dan Rappaport said, like, does it hurt more that you didn't win yep. or does it feel better that you hung in there for so long? And Max paused for, like, a good five, six, maybe eight seconds, Um and that was a real reminder that it's like, oh, yeah, that's right. Everyone here kind of wanted him to win. It was a Homa crowd. Homa crowd. It was, there was a who's a house, Homa Homa's house, uh, which I thought was really funny. Um, well, man, it I mean, it was just such a validating week to be here because you had guys that were in the mix that really freaking care about winning. Yes. And you had John Rahm playing to cement himself as the best player in the world and really establish that. And now the world ranking agrees with kind of what our eyeballs see that he is number one in the world. You had Max home at his hometown event, the one that he cares about so much. And he's, he's so good and gracious at explaining how much that means to him. And I think he enjoys that. I think he enjoys letting people in. And then of course there's Tiger Woods who uh, we'll get to in a second, but just the way he goes about his business so seriously and just tries so hard it's just it's a more entertaining sport to cover and more validating to cover i think when the people we are covering so obviously are invested in what they're doing yeah and there was no question about that this week what i think is cool about where max is at right now is and you can say the same for rom and rory and scotty but like when you look down a leaderboard on a Sunday, like today, there are certain names that scare you and certain names that don't. Keith Mitchell, as a name, was not scaring anyone when you're looking at the leaderboard. But I know at some level, John Rahm sees Max Homa as a killer because that's what he's been. And so um, when Max Homa like usurps John <laughs> and actually gets to a one-shot lead on the 13th tee, John Rahm's worried. He's actually worried. How many people in the world as golfers can make John Rahm worried right now? Not that many. It's a very short list. And Max Homa, at you know, despite maybe not contending in a major or anything like that, he still makes people extremely worried on Sundays because he's done it repeatedly coming back on Sundays. So um, when Rahm, I believe it was to Amanda Balionis or Renner, um, when he said it was good that he had the tee on the last six holes or so playing against Max uh, just because Max hits the ball straight a lot, hits it really good a lot, and just puts pressure on by being out there. You have to hit the fairway once he hits the fairway kind of thing. That's because John Rahm was worried about Max Homa. Like, um, I really do think there's probably a list of like 
six, seven, eight characters that John Rahm is worried about. And I think home is one of them. There's specific courses and I mean, specific locations also. It's funny. I started to feel pretty good about Homa's chances uh, when I saw his group come out, which I'm now blanking on who the third would, but I saw it was Homa, Xander, and someone else. And <laughs> Homa plays well in California. He plays well at this golf course. He also plays well in comfortable pairings. Was it Colin? I think was it was Colin, Colin. the third. Yeah, I think it was Morikawa. Um, so yeah, Cowboy. three California kids <laughs> and yeah, he, he plays well when he's in that comfort zone. He's also just been unbeatable in this state. So it was no surprise to see him play well. He's probably another guy that would love the majors to be here right now. Like he yeah. would probably love to go play LACC for the U S open <laughs> beginning tomorrow. Yes. Maybe a day to rest up after being in the, in the stress of God, the atmosphere out there, 280 bucks to get in the door today, Sean. That's a lot for a golf tournament. 280 to uh, get a ticket on StubHub. One of my buddies was looking this morning um, at a wedding in L.A. last night, actually. So if I'm a little bit hoarse, that's where it comes from. But this was a hot ticket, and the the atmosphere was really good. The atmosphere got especially good once Tiger finished, because the massive crowd that was following him could then, you know, all Focus gather the around the leaders. Yeah. I want to stay on Max for one quick thing. Is I think you understand him better than most people do in golf media. You've spent time with him and you have spent a lot of time thinking about mm-hmm. him, writing words about him. Um, from where I sit, his ascendance has been so gradual that it's... Um, it's hard to understand where his peak will be. There's only so much mm-hmm. higher that you can yep. conceivably go, but I don't think people always saw this peak for him, him playing like a true top five, top four, maybe player in the world. Um, and I think that's because there was his pitfalls of, of the beginning, middle part of his career that he's risen out of. And his rise was so gradual. It was the first win and then a little bit of a break between the second win. And then, you know, he's kind of only won the same event a couple different times. And now he's here doing it again at Riv. And it's been so gradual, just the, the rise up the world rankings. Now he's going to be a top 10 player, like actually per the rankings. And that's still a very gradual rise. And so I'm just wondering if you think we have um, misperceived where his peak could be because it's Mm. been over such a long period of time. Like the rise has been so. Yeah. And I think that's a great point. And I think we're not really used to seeing people take that path. I don't know who the model is for that, for someone that, I mean, maybe that used to happen with guys more, but now it feels like we kind of know when, when a guy's out, we know by the time someone's 25, not we don't know what their career is going to be like, but we generally know if they have it. Yeah. And when Max was 25, 26, like it was not clear at all that he could make a career playing golf. Mm-hmm. And he had tried it for a little while, but it wasn't obvious that, oh, yeah, this is, you know, you, you, you can throw away that degree. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, for him to be at now the top level of the game, you definitely hope that he stays there. But there's there's no reason there's no reason that he wouldn't. Oh, it's funny. I would say one of the things, well, two things that I learned from, from writing this story on Max for, um, the January issue of golf magazine, which I guess you can still find on newsstands. I think so. One is that, or just on the internet, Dylan. Yeah. You can just find it on the internet. Google, Google it. Um, one is that he still, he struggles with confidence early in weeks. Like, yeah, he had a bad week last week at the Phoenix Open, which is his hometown event. You know, there's a lot going on there. And once that happened, I think it's like back to square one. Not mm-hmm. completely. Yeah. Not a crisis of confidence like it used to be. But yeah, where we see him on what, Tuesday of this week? Yes. Grinding on the Grinding range. Grinding on the range. I was going to go say hi to. Uh, to he and his caddy and just see what they were working on. But it felt so intense and possibly <laughs> desperate. Keep some space. That it was like, I'm going to just sit this one out. Yeah. I'll see you guys tomorrow. And so it's really interesting because that is a complete 
clash with how he seems to play once he is in the mm-hmm. mix. And when he got the outright lead today, it did feel like this guy is a closer. I mean, he's never finished second before. This is the first time he's ever finished second because he just mm-hmm. wins every single time he's in contention. John Rahm's a different animal. Riviera is a different animal. Obviously didn't get it done. But Danos. I guess, the, and that's actually a combination of the the second thing that I was going to say is, yeah, we still... You know, he still has yet to completely outstrip that reputation as like the the swing roaster guy and the way he works um, and the seriousness with which he takes his craft is I there just aren't necessarily that many other guys yeah. that can match that. The arc is kind of sick when you think about it. Like, I think of all the people here today cheering for him. Why were they cheering for him? Well, he's he's an L.A california guy yeah that's that's first and foremost secondly they all kind of really like his demeanor his personality yeah he, he was known for his personality before he was known to be a, a true world beater and now his game has matched the elite personality social presence he has and so i'm sure there are people here that actually just really like watching him play golf and like watching him succeed that way and so he's kind of clicking on all cylinders firing on all cylinders whatever um so i don't know there's not a whole lot more we can say about it. Um, There's a lot more, but well, we just know, don't he, need to. He also the second. finished second he place. He finished second. Have we it, talked enough about the first place guy? Yeah, I w- actually just wanted to like circle back before we completely lose John Rom. Is there anything that he just said in his press availability that that stood out to you? Uh, yeah, he began rattling off Tiger stats. Yeah, and they don't strike me as uh, being recited in awe as much as they're recited as goals Ooh, and i love that and whether or not it's just a love that massive ambition for rom he was like yeah tigers won three times in a row 14 different times like that sounds like a it's something you've circled on your you know big board john rom and the the irony is that of all the people who could actually maybe pick off some tiger stats over the course of a 30-year career you would probably not highlight anyone more than John Rahm, right? Is that am I caught up in the moment? No, because you're seeing a guy that is in the absolute prime of his career. The prime. It still feels like he's on the upswing. Yeah. Like no one would accuse us of being Rory McIlroy haters, but <laughs> there's no. something about the way Rom is doing it, that still feels like he is on the up and up that we haven't seen his best golf yet. Maybe that's true of Rory too. There's still very much that possibility. He's probably playing the most consistent golf of his life, but goddamn, John is good. Like he, yeah. And I love the way he talked about that because at first he came in and started off the press conference a little bit casual, just almost like, yeah, look, just got to keep playing good golf. It is what it is. <laughs> and I'm glad that he got into just how much this, venue meant to him how much the host meant to him um and he has at some point yes flipped that switch from admiring tiger to being like all right i'm coming for you and maybe that happened as far back as when they played a match in the Ryder cup Mm. and rom beat him down yeah he he just seems like he's he's possible like he could possibly pick one or two off um i just i really i challenged our, our colleague claire rogers this week like hey claire i know you love tiger I know you love Max Homa. I know you really love Rory now that he he acknowledged your work. But like go watch John Rahm a little bit. Because he is, I think, the best player on the planet. And um I really enjoy watching him play because it feels like at any point you can have a, a round like he did today where he misses the ball off the tee, misses fairways like a lot, and still shoots two hundred par on one of the toughest courses on the planet. Like he feels inevitable that's why i had to ask max if he feels inevitable because we throw out those kind of analogies as media members all the time and we don't always know if they hit or if they make sense and to have a player like max say yeah he he has more tools than just about anybody um that's the validation and when joe griner kind of agrees like yeah look Rory's right there and Scotty's right there, but John has like just a little bit extra something. Um, it makes me feel better that we're not overblowing it. All right, you ready to talk Tiger? Yeah, I mean, what a hilarious week in Tiger Woods. <laughs> like seriously funny week. So funny. Yeah, I mean, to recap, what a week for Tiger Woods and his fans because 
Thursday, he's kind of losing his round. He birdies the last three holes, shoots 69, and he's back. Like, he might win the Masters. Then Friday, <laughs> he closes like a lead balloon. Not sure that works, but whatever. Shoots 74, bogeys three of his last four holes. Um, and now it's like, oh, geez, this is the guy we've already seen. We saw this yeah, version that was predictable. last year. You we, predicted the 74. I said he shot, would shoot 74, and he, uh, he didn't look like he would until, sure enough, he did right at the end. <laughs> and it felt like last year, okay, he's going to squeak across the line, just make the cut, and then you know maybe he shoots 78 on Saturday. But no, instead he shoots 67 on Saturday, one of the best rounds in the field. And that included a late bogey, too. Mm -hmm. I mean, he was taking it deep, could have been deeper. And uh, no, at no point was he contending to win the golf tournament on the weekend, but he sure played his way into a relatively late tee time and then shot 73 on Sunday, which leaves us somewhere in the middle. Mm -hmm. Where is that place? What did we learn about Tiger this week? Well, he's played 13 competitive rounds since his car crash, which was two years ago. So these were rounds... Uh, 10, 11, 12, and 13. And what stood out to me was the fact that he could put two rounds together out of four. Uh, he'd put two rounds together out of three by the time Saturday was over with. But Saturday's round looked casual. Like, he was hitting shots that um, didn't they didn't feel out of place. Uh, didn't feel like he was getting lucky breaks. In fact, it, it kind of looked a little bit like his round at Augusta, his first round at Augusta, where he was making a lot of really good pars and taking on a really tough golf course. Um, and he looks stronger. He he looks like his gait is smoother. I walked up the hill behind him today at about 8.30 a.m. And he looked better than the person following him. Um, his limp gets more pronounced every hole that goes on throughout the day. Um and it gets particularly worse when he's kind of like standing and going from one interview to the next. But I think he's going to be, I think he's going to make the cut at Augusta. He's going to be the premier person we talk about going into Augusta. Mm -hmm. Like, I think we're kind of already back there. I don't think he's going to win a golf tournament, but he looks stronger. He looks better and he looks happier. So this is, this is what he wants to do. He did seem happier. He see he took a little while between when he finished his round and then when he did media availability. I guess he also sat in uh, on CBS and did a an interview there. But he was kind of all smiles by the time he reached media. I wasn't sure that was going to be the case. Just you know, he uh, kind of struggled at the finish there. Didn't exactly finish in in prime time. Fifteen, he missed like a three footer. And I just at this point for our purposes and our jobs. I'm a little annoyed at every answer has to do with his body, but I'm also okay with it. Like every question, doesn't matter if you're asking him about, you know, how he played, what he scored, how he feels, what day it is. It always relates to his body. And that's probably where we're going to be with for Tiger Woods for now and until the end. And I guess I, it annoys me because I asked him on Saturday, like, what's the difference between the the good days and the bad days? And he's like, ah, oh, just how I feel. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, dude, same. Yeah. I'm like, what's the difference between the good golf and the bad golf? It's like, well, it's just, you know, getting from A to A to B and, and how that makes me feel. I'm like, okay, yeah, I get that. Um, that's my only real gripe about Tiger right now. It just kind of feels like we're getting a lot of the sameness. In, in his responses, yeah, he's not, really, so, he's not really letting us in. So I get, I guess, yeah. Let's 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 zoom in on that a little bit because this did feel like progress. Yeah, it's a question of how much progress. And he said, yes, this has gotten him a little bit closer to where he feels like he can win. At the same time, nothing has changed really. Mm -hmm. Like he's not suddenly gonna play a whole bunch of events. Mm -mm. He acknowledged, yes, he's gonna try to play all four majors. That's good news. And then he mentioned that he may add a few is kind of what he said. But I'm, if I had to bet on it, I would say we don't see him between now and Augusta. Mm -hmm. I think there would be an outside shot that he would think about adding the players. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it sounds like just a lot of work. He talked about it a little bit more than he has because yeah, that's what we've been wondering. Like, what does this actually look like when he says, oh, it's a lot of ice? 
Uh, today, he he essentially said, yeah, I'm basically lying on or in ice <laughs> after I play, like es- essentially all night. So there's quick turnarounds. There's not a lot of sleep happening, et cetera, et cetera. It sounds like a fairly miserable way to uh, go through a, a competitive week and something that most of these guys are not having to deal with. So as a result, we're still going to see him like the plan has not changed. Um, what has changed a little bit is I think we can feel a little bit better about the fact that he can play four days and look, he beat a lot of golfers this yeah, week. He made, um, the cut. he made the cut again, which yeah, he, he continues his, to do. His goal posts have just shifted just slightly, right? His goal, uh, was, was walking and playing four 18 whole rounds of golf, which he completed, but he had not done that going into this week. So, that is adjusting the goalposts a little bit. Um, I just it made me think back to 2020 when we were here. Tiger was here. He finished just about last of guys that made the cut, yep. and the questions coming out of it were, "Okay, what, where, where is this guy going to play next?" And he was very non-committal of, mm. "Oh, is he going to?" I believe the question was, "Was he going to go play WGC Mexico?" Which was like <laughs> the next week, and we weren't sure. And he did not play. And he kind of was like, oh, yeah, I haven't really thought about it. We're like, what? Yeah. But yeah, he didn't play there. He ended up not playing the players, which ended up being the the pandemic week. But there's a little bit of a flat circle thing with this, regardless of the crash. Like, these are already some of the questions that we were asking. And maybe that leads to what you mentioned as annoyance. Um, but yeah, Tiger's health was not a sure thing before the crash. It's It's certainly not a sure thing day to day now. But yeah, there there is some serious magic in there, and it's pretty cool when it strikes. Yeah, I mean, just like we, I don't think we appreciated his his ball striking at the peak of his career until years later. Um, strokes gained weren't a thing for Peak Tiger in two thousand two thousand one. They didn't exist. That stat was not a thing. The shot link was not capturing where golf balls were at all times, and so shot link and and strokes gained really didn't even blow up until like the mid 2010s and so it was all hindsight and by that time tiger's back had betrayed him and what's really cool about this is his back is in pretty good shape right now as you know all things considered and it's his lower body that really bothers him and so he's now changed kind of at least how much torque his like core is injecting into his swing. He talked about that on Saturday where he doesn't feel like he can use the ground forces as much. So it's more core forces, which is him letting us in a little bit. Um, but the ball striker, the hands, it's still there. And so if you, if you're going to the masters or any of these major championships and you want to watch tiger all day long, go to the driving range and watch him hit irons and then watch every iron shot and get as close as you can to like being behind him. I think during these iron shots to see the way the ball works each way. That's one of the treats of this golf course. You have to bend it left and you have to bend it right. So a player like tiger who can do that uh, is a treat to, to actually watch. If you can get close enough to see it because um, it's a, it's not his former self, but it's a, it's a derivative of it. And the derivative is still so damn good that like a lot of people on the PGA tour would swap out their approach game for Tiger Woods is here as a, when he's a 47 year old in 2023, that is incredible. What's his best finish at a major this year? He's going to finish T 24 Augusta. Okay. Make the cut, entertain people. John Rahm runs, runs away and wins the second major. He's going to miss the cut in Chile, uh, Rochester. Rochester at the PGA. Plates on the weekend. He's going to make the cut and grind out a made cut at the U.S. Open here in L.A. Okay. at LACC. Um, but it's going to be similar to kind of this week where it's like T40-something. Mm. Nothing too special, but like, hey, a really nice round to make the cut. And then he's going to stir every ghost he's got and make us think about some things at Royal Liverpool, extremely flat Royal Liverpool, and he's going to finish T10 at the Open. Wow. Let's go with that. That would be really cool. (laughs) But, like, there's a reason. If you don't understand the difference in these golf courses, then it's hard to see that um, 
take place. Well, but it, yes. Like, he is going to hit the ball far enough and low enough and with enough speed that there's no distance gap at Royal Liverpool. And then his irons, like I just said, off of firm, crunchy, tough turf are better than, they're better than, like, all of uh, everyone except for, like, maybe 20 golfers on the planet. Do you agree with that? Yeah. I think that there's <laughs> still stuff that he can do. And I think that there's there's just a, like something really dumb based on what we know about, you know, how, how big sample sizes you need to look at golf, about the way we are now forced to dissect every single round that Tiger plays. Maybe not forced to, but it's interesting. Mm. It's the yeah. most interesting thing in golf. And, yeah, he shot 73 today. It looked bad, parts of it. It it felt like a guy whose body wasn't quite ready to compete. But then it's like there's a lot of other dudes that shot 73 also that are not in that situation. Yep. Tiger beat Rory on the weekend by, I think, four with the <laughs> shots that he – or with the scores that he so shot. Sick. Like there are – yeah, I mean, yeah, he finished 45th, but Adam Scott, who plays really well here, finished 65th. Jordan Spieth <laughs> missed the cut. Matthew Fitzpatrick missed the cut, et Tiger cetera, et cetera. barely been practicing. Yes. So, I don't know. There's no way to know exactly what to take out of it, except that this this push and pull between rest and rust and getting reps versus staying healthy and getting more healthy versus the fact that he will never be completely healthy. Like all those questions are going to be the same. It's just that the answers are, are going to be slightly different. Yeah. Oh, it's fun to watch. I think this is the most fun version of tiger for me, which is weird and kind of sick, like in the head kind of sick Yeah. <laughs> because like, um, I, we were there at Augusta in 2019. We saw him triumph. That was that so was, ridiculous. And I can't believe how much that has skewed our expectations, I guess, since then. Yeah. I just, I'm really having a, a, like the other night he was kind of walking through, um, the press area and he like kind of shuffled to the side to like take one step down from one, um, from one platform to another. And I just was thinking, damn, no one's asking you to do this. And then KVV was like, yeah, but it makes him happy. Mm. <laughs> Which is like, so we've like ascended to this point where he is, Tiger, you know, he said the rest is going to be all gravy like yeah. before he won the Masters. And I think he actually truly means it now. You know, he was asked about retirement on Tuesday and um, says he has no interest in being the ceremonial golfer, but he has a, he gets a ton of utility from being out here. And, and I think the happiness is a, you know, like seeing this dude who only got happy with victories have to be happy with T 45s. Uh, it's so much more human than whatever he was at the peaks of his career and more relatable and that, that kind of stuff. We're seeing a relatable tiger for the first time. I like that a lot. Um, two things that struck me that I've, I was just, I'm finishing up a, a story on Tiger that I'll probably finish from LAX um, while I escape tonight. But one thing, I just noticed he was talking a bunch to Kramer Hickok today, hmm. and he was, uh, you know, he not Tyrrell Hatton. He mentioned after the round that, you know, the the names and faces keep changing out here really quickly. And I was, <laughs> that image of Tiger yeah, and dude. Kramer Hickok just walking down the fairway, it just made me think of Tom Brady, like palling around with like scotty miller on the bucks and it's like all right here's your new receiver that you're gonna get to know for a year or two and then and then who knows and yeah he's like 18 years younger than you or whatever i mean and and kramer's not even a particularly young pga tour player i just i thought that was pretty funny and then the second thing is i think that there's something fascinating about the fact that riviera has become tiger's home like yeah there's just there's some symbolism there of, yes, this is the first course that he ever played uh, on the PGA Tour. This is where that that started when he was in high school in 1992. Also, the fact that he's a Southern California kid. But I think it's fascinating that this is almost like a monument to Tiger trying to climb mountains that he doesn't even have to climb. Like, mm -hmm. this is the only course that he's played more than four times. And never won. And never won. And he has now played it 13 times and never won. And... That's kind of what he was referencing coming off the course today. And, and he finished with, you know what? 
maybe next year, maybe next year's the year. And I was like, God, this is, this is the guy he, he fucking tries so hard. Um, who knows how it's going to go? Who knows if it's just going to keep deteriorating? Uh, but the fact that he just continues to do it, that kind of explains tiger right now. Um, I want to ask, is this a dumb question, Dylan? <laughs> like what role will tiger play at the, with the Ryder cup in Rome? Will he be there in person? Will he be in Florida watching from afar, texting in his oh, thoughts? Oh, no, he'll be there. You He's got to so? be there, right? Yeah, I mean, look. I don't know. I Feels mean, like a dumb question. If you asked me yesterday this time, I would say, yeah, I mean, he's probably like going out <laughs> second. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but, uh, but no, I think that he'll be there in some sort of assistant captain role. Okay. Um, then we can move on from Tiger to what may be the last topic. The PJ Tour went Phoenix Open, designated event. Genesis Invitational, designated event. Yep. Now we fly across the country yep. to the Honda Classic, an event that will no longer be sponsored by Honda in tw- in 12 months. <laughs> um, at a field that is as weak as it's ever been, it's really sad. Uh, when you talk to players and caddies out here, they're actually sad that this event is not as important as it used to be. Um, and it will be going up against Live Golf's season launch, yes. uh, Maya Coba. And... Like it feels really odd on Sunday night at Genesis Invitational to even bring that topic up, but that's where we're pivoting to. Like the tour has had its season start, and now we move into the competitive zone. Events going up yes. against each other. The fractured. It's about world. to get. It's about to get real weird. Like if you'd enjoyed the PJ Tour the last two months, uh, hold on to those memories because it's about to get fractured and crazy and, and right. odd. And like there's gonna be juice coming from the live press conferences this week right yes there is <laughs> look a year ago it was Joaquin Neiman walking out of here after a career changing performance he's now going to be teeing it up next week in Mayakoba uh as for the Honda Classic thing I understand why there's hand-wringing about the fact that yes that it's a South Florida golf tournament with a ton of history that is you know effectively now like a triple a tournament I don't know Joel Damon on full swing has this line that stands out about like, look, someone's got to be the 70th best golfer in the world. Mm-hmm. It may as well be me. If the PGA tour is still going to have this many events on its schedule, something is going to have to be the 35th best event on the, on the schedule. And is, is Joel playing next week? Is he playing? I don't know. He's gotta be. Playing. I just mean like <laughs> it, it, it may as well be the Honda classic because yeah. not every event can be designated or elevated. Not every event can be a top 10 event. And certainly not every event can be Riviera. So I'm fine with it. Yeah. I've, it is just the beginning of this season where all the talk about, oh, Liv is going to be good for golf. It gives you more things to watch, more golf on your television. That, that theory is going to be tested, finally. There are going to be, I think, seven of the events are within one time zone of each other at the same time, same weekend, same days, Sunday afternoon. Use your channel changer and tell me which one you're watching. It most. is weird, Sean. It's it's going to be so weird, and I don't even yet understand what it's going to be like. What the breakdown is going to be like. There is no evidence in probably any sport that it's good to have two competing leagues happening at the same time in the <laughs> same windows. In like the, I mean, even like the XFL, you don't see them competing with the NFL no. on Sunday afternoons. They wait until the Super Bowl is passed. But yeah, I guess if they did, it would be really interesting to see what sort of market share they took out. In this case, yeah, I'm not making any sort of statement here on Live or the PGA Tour. It just seems like having them both at the same time is going to make them seem like relatively similar products and mm. probably you're probably dividing the existing audience rather than adding Okay, so do you have any predictions for the live season? When we when we are podcasting um, in Rome, let's say we're in Rome, yeah, and the live season has passed, what will the result be? Jeez, I think the answer is kind of a shoulder shrug. Yeah. Like I think it's kind of a shoulder shrug in the same way we shoulder shrug uh, during the John Deere Classic. You know, like oh sweet, okay, some other guy got another win somewhere on the PGA Tour. 
and that is going to help him get into the bigger events and whatever. But it's a pretty minor step. I think we're going to shoulder shrug, and especially if Phil doesn't win and if Bryson doesn't play well and if Brooks doesn't play well and um, if Dustin Johnson like pegs off four victories on the live tour, yeah, we'll know that DJ is the best golfer on that tour. Um, it's all going to be decided at the major championships. Yeah. Um, which is to your point, it's like, it's hard to understand what will be a more important victor. If, if Cam Smith wins on Sunday and Billy Horschel wins on Sunday and they play two different fields, like which one was more important, which was more impressive. Um, I think we're going to be shrugging our shoulders. That's the idea. I'm like, honestly feel uncomfortable making a prediction about the live season because I want to keep an open mind to like everything going on around it. And the, and the Netflix discussion is going to be has, using this audio. <laughs> yeah. What's up, Netflix? No, the, the discussion has just gotten so charged and so toxic around the whole thing. This is such a wet blanket, lame answer, but mm. I just feel like, I feel like I don't really want to say mm. something that I think of... might happen. And then <laughs> if it doesn't, I don't know. I don't even Old know where I'm saying exposed. here, except that I feel cautious like talking about Liv's future because I'd rather just. I'd rather just see the product exist now, and then we can say, Gosh. look, here's how it looks. You sound like a guy that's going to live. <laughs> <laughs> look, <laughs> look, I just think they're doing a lot of interesting things, and I also would like to spend more time with my family. Perfect. Um, Quick right. up and down. Are you ready to be done with this podcast? I don't know what I was going to say to be up and down. That's the thing. Let's run through a quick up and down. I'll start. Okay. Down. Rory McIlroy's weekend. Mm. Interesting to see Rory, who I think is not always a big fan of the supergroup, come out, play against JT and Tiger, play with JT and Tiger, and emerge as the winner from that group. And he played himself into prime time position for the weekend and then just kind of vanished. Had a really bizarre Saturday. I believe he shot two over. Didn't make a birdie until his second to last hole. Um, and then shot 71 on Sunday, finished T29. I don't know, man, just the last two weeks, it has not looked like the same Rory McIlroy that we've seen since last year at Augusta. So he hadn't really been finishing outside the top 10 anywhere. And so far in his first, well, in the first three designated events, Rory didn't play in Hawaii and now has not logged a top 25 in either of these two. So a little bit surprising. Um, these golf courses just may not totally agree with him. But, yeah, when Scotty and Rom were staking their claim, Rory has just sort of been an also-ran. All right. Who's up for you? Up for me? Well, man, one Don't. quick moment it was up was Keith Mitchell making birdie on the 18th hole because he had a, he didn't have his greatest day um, on Sunday, but in front of that massive crowd, that was definitely a cool moment. Also, just West Coast Sahith. It seems like there's certain guys that are just – in the mix and Rom and, and Homa are definitely two of them. Uh, but it feels like Scythe between like, I don't know, Tory Pines and Phoenix and Riv. Yeah. Now he's just going to be in the mix a lot out here. Win once for me, please. Yes. Scythe. Uh, up and down for me. Same thing. Ooh. Live golf up and down. Uh, people are probably tired of us talking about it, but live ha has five new additions. Yes. To its roster. And Read them out. I will. Sebastian Munoz feels like a meh. Mito Pereira kind of feels meh. Danny Lee, that's not that good. Brendan Steele, that's not that good. Thomas Peters, that's pretty good. Yeah. Live is up I and down. Mito. I mean, maybe I'm biased. But you are biased. I would, I'm definitely biased. <laughs> but just because I spent a bunch of time with him. But he also was a very consistent performer on the pj tour last year i don't know yeah maybe you're greg right. norman told the media in uh november that he is targeting top 20 players in the world top 10 players in the world he got zero of them he got zero top 30 players in the world he got thomas peters to sign on a very talented uh pretty young still i believe he's younger than both of us um which means you're young in terms of golf years <laughs> uh they got him to sign on and give up 
what looks like Ryder Cup status. Thomas Peters is probably going to be on that European Ryder Cup team. We don't know if those players will be available or eligible. Uh, it's not looking good for them, which that's a victory for Liv. They had no other victories in my eyes. I'm not that convinced by Mino Pereira. Um, and I'm definitely not convinced by Brendan Steele, who basically just said, I kind of wanted to have some security in case I get injured. Did he say uh, that? Yeah, this was the quote. He said... Um, I missed his whole statement. I didn't realize there was that's one. That's right. We play a sport where it is very fickle, and you have no contracts as far as signing with the Dodgers for five years. And if you get hurt, you get paid. We don't have any of that stuff, so to have a little bit of security and going over there, I think you can kind of understand the narrative for each guy who went. Some want security financially. Some are older. Some are guys who are more injured. Some guys haven't been playing as well, but have a big name. Um, That's, he sounds like a podcaster, too. Yeah, So exactly. he said that in explaining that he's going? Which one is he? He said that he's, to the Palm Springs Desert newspaper. Interesting. So is he saying that he's old and possibly injured? And that, gosh, he might just be describing Brooks Kepka, but he also might just be describing himself. Either way, um, the security blanket. Uh, at least he said it, right? At least he's he's not kind of cowering under the the same things that a lot of live guys have done in the past. It is a financial security blanket, and uh, I wish him all the best. But up and down, when you finish T thirty in a live event, it's not the same as finishing T thirty out here, and. Uh, hopefully he can find a lot of comfort in that. Sort of a dour note that we're landing on. That's okay, Dylan, um, because what's coming later this week? Something really fun. We sat down with Netflix star and PGA Tour caddy. Also, can we talk about how I'm the worst Netflix star in that room sitting with you and Gino? Well, you were in Netflix. I heard your voice on there. Just my voice, Just not my pretty see face. You as much as I was hoping to. <laughs> Um, yes, we got Gino Benali to sit down with us from the couch of his exquisite mansion that he was staying in for, for no furniture in it, but a very nice house just around the corner from Riv this week. Um, I'm excited for you guys to hear a couple pretty what was the highlight stories. For me, the highlight was talking to Gino about my caddying for Joel. Yes. In the Scottish. We, we nerd were, out. Sean we really nerds nerd out with Gino on the art of the caddying. Uh, my favorite part was just arguably the greatest story that's ever been told on the drop zone, just in terms of sheer like intensity, the meaning of the moment, etc. So, loved that. Tune back in. Thanks for reading all our stuff this week. Thanks for listening. Love you guys. See you in a couple days. See ya.